welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Cannabis Grand Rounds. My name is Les Matthews. I'm one of the co-founders of this podcast and I'm joined today with Dr. Hal Altman, one of our other co-founders. And I want to welcome you back to another episode of our podcast that is a podcast on all things cannabis by healthcare professionals directed to healthcare professionals. Today, we are very fortunate to be joined by Dr. Ari Grice. Dr. Grice is the medical director of the cannabis department of the Rothman Orthopedic Institute in Philadelphia, and he is a clinical assistant professor of rehabilitative medicine at Thomas Jefferson University. Dr. Grice is an active researcher in the field of medical cannabis, particularly as it pertains to its use in chronic pain. We are very fortunate to have him as our guest. Thank you, Ari, for being here. Thanks, Les, for having me. It's a pleasure. It's, it's, it's a real honor to have you. Um, I thought we could begin this conversation by just having you explain to us and to our audience how you initially became interested in medical cannabis research. Yeah, it's kind of a, a long story, but I'll give you the short version. Um, I, I did my uh, residency training at the University of Washington in Seattle between 2004 and 2007. And uh, Washington State legalized medical cannabis in 1998. So while I was living there and, and learning rehab medicine and treating all different types of patients with neuromuscular diseases and spinal cord injuries and multiple sclerosis and chronic pain. Um, cannabis was legal as a medicine, but this was before the days of dispensaries where you could go purchase medical grade products uh, from a state approved store. And at that time, patients were allowed to grow a certain number of plants on their own and, and, and legally use cannabis if they had a letter from the doctor saying that they had any medical condition that might uh, benefit from it. And so that was my early introduction to patients basically reporting to me that they had chronic neurological symptoms, had tried most of the uh, therapies and medications uh, and injections, and were still suffering. And, and they basically started using cannabis. And many of them told me it was the only thing that alleviated some of their symptoms and allowed them to function at a, at a more normal level. And so, you know, I was always impressed by the fact that patients uh, would, would report this and that there was no education on it. And uh, after my residency, I did a fellowship in uh, musculoskeletal medicine and spine rehabilitation. And this was in uh, the days of uh, heavy pharmaceutical marketing of long-acting opioids. And because I was treating both acute and chronic pain, every single day there was a drug rep-sponsored lunch uh, from one of the famed pharmaceutical companies uh, you know, touting long-acting opioids. And, you know, it was during my fellowship that I saw the, the tremendous addiction potential of opioids. And it, it never made me feel comfortable that, you know, the way we were treating pain 
in the 90s and the early 2000s was to just continue to increase opioids for, for these patients. And so, um, you know, I, I, I immediately kind of uh, used caution prescribing those drugs and, uh, and tried to limit their use. And, and then in 2016, um, while I was at it for almost 10 years, um, med- uh, medical cannabis became sort of a, a, a reality in Pennsylvania. And even though the, the law didn't go into effect until 2018, at the same time, Thomas Jefferson University started a, a center for the study of medicinal cannabis and hemp. And, you know, I, I immediately remembered my days in Seattle and, you know, I remembered the desperation of patients with these chronic illnesses. And I thought it would be a great alternative to treating some of our, our chronic pain patients with cannabis instead of opioids. And so I, I contacted the, the head of the center and he was interested to have my help. And I asked him if there were any, you know, meetings or, or, or um, seminars to attend to learn more about uh, cannabinoid research and science. And, and he directed me to the International Cannabinoid Research Society meeting. And I attended that that meeting in the spring, early summer of, uh, I believe 2017. And it was in Montreal, Canada. And, you know, I was exposed to uh, a community of researchers from around the world that were really, really digging into the science, uh, behind the endocannabinoid system and all the cannabinoids found in the plant. And, and that's where I just realized that this was, this was really untapped potential and something that we needed to explore further. And working at Rothman Orthopedics, where they really stressed the importance of research and innovation, I thought this was just like a perfect fit for my practice. And it was a, you know, potentially going to help a lot of people that I was treating. Well, that's, that's a very interesting uh, journey that you've been on. And uh, I admire you for, for being so um, innovative. I thought it would also be helpful for our audience to just get a, a brief overview of the areas of research that you have been interested in and committed to. I, I, I want, as we get into this a little further, take a deeper dive into the specifics of your research, but maybe just to kick this off, if you could just give us a, a broad 10,000 foot view of the areas of research that you're interested in, that might be a good place to start. Yeah. And I, and I will kind of lead by just saying I, I never really had an interest in doing research uh, until until this sort of area of of cannabis came in, into my world and um, the innumerable unanswered questions that we have about its use. So, you know, from my perspective, it became a, a really interesting topic because Treating chronic pain is not easy, and I think everybody knows that, treating any chronic illness. Um, and many of our patients have, you know, degenerative problems that just get worse over time. And so, you know, my, my area of interest is really treating chronic pain. And what I see the most of is chronic back pain, and probably because it's the most common. But, you know, at Rothman Orthopedics, we're a multi-specialty group, and we, we treat every type of uh, orthopedic and musculoskeletal condition. And, you know, my concern has always been what, what are, what are safe medications that you can use on patients for, for a long period of time or for the rest of their lives. And, and we're really limited uh, as clinicians because even medications that are over the counter, like NSAIDs uh, have a lot of risk potential for chronic use. And, you know, we've all had our experience with 
um, patients uh, or people that we know that have had trouble with addiction from substance abuse and especially opioids. So, you know, I, I saw this as a, an opportunity to treat chronic orthopedic pain, uh, including spinal pain, but also uh, peripheral joint pain. A lot of our patients come to Rothman with knee arthritis, hip arthritis, shoulder issues. And also, you know, as a, as, and to see if, if, if we could explore whether or not cannabinoids could, could have opioid sparing effects. And, you know, upon my initial look at the literature, it really seemed like um, a, a, an option that, that was doable. And there was already sort of a pre-existing um, knowledge base that uh, there were properties in the plant uh, that could improve inflammation and the perception of pain. And, um, you know, as a physiatrist or a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist, I've, I've always used multimodal care. So, you know, I, I've, I've always believed that there's not one treatment or modality that's going to help a patient. And, you know, it's really combinations uh, of um, treatment philosophies and medications and exercise that, that help people really um, improve their situation. And so um, I, I really, I really, I think that chronic pain really affects the whole person, the whole body. There's a, there's obviously a mind body connection. And, you know, I've dealt with plenty of patients with anxiety and depression and other traumas throughout their life that have implicated their perception of pain. And I think cannabinoids have really like widespread effect on our body and the, the therapeutic potential is kind of great. Thank you. So as, as you were planning and implementing your research, what challenges did you face? Well, there, there's so many challenges trying to study cannabinoids. Um, for starters, you know, getting, getting research off the ground, um, you know, there's obviously different levels of research that one can do, but you know, we, we wanted to do as good as we could and, and to really not just do observational retrospective research. So um, we, we did have to, you know, approach our, our IRB at Jefferson. And I think any, any, anytime you bring up cannabis as a research uh, option, you know, there's heightened, um, you know, attention to the legality of what we're doing. And so we're, we were limited essentially without, without a, a schedule one license to study cannabis. Um, we, we were limited in, in what we could do, but we really did set off to um, do some sort of prospective um, collect data collection of our cannabis users. And so that was, you know, one, one challenge. Um, but the, the biggest challenge is not being able to give patients cannabis, uh, or to, you know, give specific dosages, um, and to also know what these patients were getting. So, um, in, in basically w what we ended up doing is making cannabis available to patients who were appropriate and interested and and I've I've done probably over fifteen hundred medical cannabis certifications for chronic pain in Pennsylvania, more than New Jersey, uh, but in both states. 
And um, one of the bigger challenges has been when patients come back to report what they were using, and we would we made up some questionnaires to try and figure it out. Uh, we found that 75% of patients didn't even know what the dosage of their, their medication was, or they didn't know the details. You know, they might know that they, it was a, a vape product or a tincture that they were using, and they might know how much of the tincture they were putting in their body in terms of like how, how much of the dropper, but, you know, the dosages matter in medicine. And we, we had a really hard time collecting accurate data on product usage. Um, and because of the way that the system is set up, uh, clinicians, even the ones that do the certifications aren't privy to what products are being purchased at the dispensary. Um, unlike today, we have a drug monitoring program in Pennsylvania where you can see which prescriptions are filled in any, any pharmacy. And obviously it's going to say the dose and the number of pills and how frequently patients are taking them. So we're really relying on patients to report back a- accurate information. And, and, and like I said, three quarters didn't have that information. Um, so that was a big challenge from a research standpoint. Um, and, you know, we really weren't comparing these patients initially to non-cannabis users. You know, we've since sort of changed some of our protocols, but um, we were really just looking at patients using cannabis before and after uh, their certification. And and then we we were really interested in whether or not this affected their use of controlled substances, benzodiazepines and, and opioids. And so um, we were able to, I think, you know, accomplish something, but it was really the, the beginning. And I, and I think a lot, a lot of people don't understand how challenging it is to, to do this research where you don't have a placebo controlled arm and you don't have, um, you know, a, a way to predetermine who's getting what product and then measuring the effect of it. Dr. Grace, this is Hal Altman. I, I think you beautifully uh, summarized some of the, the issues that anybody that's interested in the science of cannabis and hemp runs into. Um, we, uh, we find ourselves on the lower rungs of the evidence pyramid using observational studies rather than the gold standard RCTs. Do you have a an IRB with Rothman that you use, or uh, is there an academic institution in Philadelphia or some other IRB mechanism that you use for these studies? Yeah, we're we're using Thomas Jefferson's IRB, and uh, we we have uh, an open uh, IRB for um, cannabis users at Rothman Orthopedics. It's, it's a prospective trial. And what we've done from the beginning is uh, provide cannabis certifications to appropriate patients. And when these patients come in for their appointment, we have them fill out um, validated questionnaires uh, for their body part in question. And it could be more than one body part, but if someone was coming to me for chronic low back pain, they would get some validated questionnaires for chronic pain, chronic low back pain. Uh, and we looked at basically pain and quality of life and, and functional scores. And we developed some questionnaires about um, products, product usage, levels of intoxication that people were experiencing. We asked about different routes of delivery. 
Uh, because if you look at the cannabis literature, there, there's really very few validated questionnaires, and most of the, the cannabis use questionnaires were designed to look for problem use or, or to diagnose patients with cannabis use disorder. And when we, when we looked at that questionnaire and initially tried to use it, it really wasn't applicable to a lot of our patients because it really speaks about smoking cannabis and how much you smoke and how often you smoke and whether or not you have trouble stopping and things like that. And so what we had to do was create our own questionnaire, which we're, which we're trying to validate. And I, I met a colleague at the International Cannabinoid Research Society years ago, and her name is Dr. A.D. Poe, and she's out in Portland, Oregon. But we basically are trying to create our, a questionnaire for medical use because what we care about is whether or not people are using topicals, tinctures, what dosages of THC and CBD. And we're doing our best to kind of capture that. So as part of our protocol, and this is included in our IRB, patients are getting you know, val as much validated questionnaires as we can provide before and after their cannabis certifications. And when they come back at their three month for their three month follow up visit, that's when they get what we design, which is the inventory of medical cannabis use. And it's it's a couple page questionnaire about the products and the dosages. And and what we're doing as a third prong, as a, just sort of part of our standard protocol, is to check the the Pennsylvania Drug Monitoring Program for controlled substance use. And now not every patient is on controlled substances, but we've we've kind of sub um, divided them out of our general population. And then we kind of monitor whether or not their use of benzodiazepines or opioids changes over the ensuing six months after their certification. But for a lot of our patients, we have uh, one year data and, uh, you know, we're about to expand our program so that many more practitioners can do certifications. And, and, and that's our ongoing IRB at Jefferson. But in order to do a more specific study where we're studying a specific product for a specific uh, problem, it's basically like doing a new drug study and you need funding uh, uh, to do these projects. And it, it, it's like becoming a pharmaceutical company to do one of these studies and it's cost millions of dollars and requires special, special licenses. Um, and uh, obviously all the products have to be made pharmaceutical grade. As I understand it, uh, as a clinical provider of cannabis, uh, medical cannabis recommendations, you have very little control over the route of administration, the dosing, the ratios of different cannabinoids in a given patient's preparation. Is that correct? That's exactly correct, Les. I mean, basically, we can't prescribe a Schedule One drug, so I cannot specifically state, um, you know, a dose. However, I, I do the best that I can, and and I would say that a majority of my patients um, are, you know, middle age or elderly. I have many patients in their 80s and even 90s uh, that are seeking out the use of cannabis for for chronic pain. And most of these patients are not looking to get intoxicated. And in fact, they're, they're trying to avoid it. Uh, and a lot of my patients are cannabis naive. They've never tried it ever in their life, or they, you know, smoked it 30 years ago and didn't enjoy it and then never really took to it. So, so what I have found that physician involvement in these certifications is really important. Um, there are plenty of physicians in states that do certifications all they do is basically certify to the health department that a patient has 
you know, what they consider a qualifying medical condition. And then they leave it up to the dispensary staff to provide product recommendations. And I don't think that's the right thing to do personally. And what I have found is that for my patients that are really seeking out advice on dosing, I, I give that to them. I give them guidelines to follow. And, and that's initial dosing of THC, which is really the, the main cannabinoid that we worry about, I would say, and the one that's responsible for the intoxication and potential impairment. And I also recommend what I consider, you know, um, medically appropriate routes of delivery. So most of my patients, I recommend starting off with a tincture and a topical uh, to figure out their dose. Um, and then once they kind of titrate to the, the right dose of THC, um, they might find a, a pill or a capsule in that dose or in some states, you know, some other edible product. Um, and I think vaporization has its benefits. Uh, obviously, it's the fastest onset of action, but um, I think inhalables are probably better to avoid as a medicine if, if possible. Um, many of my patients have reported vaping, irritating their throat or making them cough. So, you know, I think when it's avoidable, it, it, it should be avoided. But um, for some people, it's a nice rescue option. Ari, uh, thank you very much. Um, when when we come back, uh, we want to have the opportunity to have another conversation with you that gets into some more specific details about the most recent research that you've done, some of the findings, some of the impact and and comments and, frankly, criticism that that research has engendered. Um, but we greatly appreciate your time. And if you can join us again, we're going to do our second episode uh, with you on this topic. That concludes this episode of Cannabis Grand Rounds with Dr. Grice. We invite you back to the next episode where we'll examine some of the specific studies that he's doing with the Rothman Institute. Thank you so much. All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.